Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians will continue our series through that uh, book of Scripture. Uh, 2 Corinthians in a shorter passage today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians towards the back of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And then you get to First and Second Corinthians, and we're in the, the second one of those, Second Corinthians, chapter four, continuing our series. And we we've been talking the last couple of weeks, particularly about how Paul uh, unrolls, uh, un- unveils the theme of God's sustaining power, so God's sufficiency. And one of the things we've been realizing is that there is power available to us. And a lot of times we don't look to God for that power, that power that we need just for life in general, that power we need particularly for living out the Christian life. And so last week, I know we were looking, for instance, at how understanding our place in God's story of his redemptive working throughout the the centuries and generations, seeing how we fit into the story of the Bible, you and I, that gives us sustaining power. If we rightly understand what God is doing redemptively throughout history, all the way back to the Old Testament people of God, all the way up to today, that gives us strength to walk in the path that the Lord would have for us. And, And God does that in a particular way, too. We haven't gotten a lot of time to spend on this, but through the Holy Spirit, Bible says in places like John 14 and John 16 in particular that the Holy Spirit takes the the working of God's power and it it brings it into your life and my life. It it brings it home, so to speak. So we've been seeing the work of the Spirit in in God's redeeming work. And today we're going to take a look and continue along those themes, as we'll see the very first verse is going to remind us that it's the mercy of God, it's His sustaining power, and that we should not lose heart. And then we're going to look at this beautiful reality that God brings the light, the light of the glory of the knowledge of God to us in the face of Jesus Christ. We don't take anything else away From today, we want to meditate, we want to embrace, we want to dive into the reality that God, through His grace, is shining in our hearts His glory and the the loving presence of Jesus that we we see in the face, you would say, of Jesus Christ. We're going to unpack that today, look at some of the things that maybe keep us from experiencing that glory and that presence and, um, and we'll see where the Lord takes us in our time together in His Word. So, read along with me silently as I read aloud 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled or or covered or shielded, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, listen to this, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I ask that even in our time of worship today, that you would shine your face upon us. Lord, we are here and we don't always understand exactly what words like glory mean or even what knowledge means. And we, I trust many are experiencing the light of your presence. Lord, we desire more of that. We desire for you to come and meet us. We desire through the Holy Spirit that we would draw closer to you and be strengthened, have our sustaining power in you. And, oh, Lord, we desire to have things that would block that cleared out of the way. We pray that you would show us that path today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few years ago, I think it was maybe early June or late May, our family went up to visit the extended uh, Peters clan in central Pennsylvania. And it, it was a fun time. You know, we only usually get up there every two years or so. My sister, I think, on that trip, I should have confirmed this with, with patience, I think my sister was on that trip and my, my niece as well. We were there for a special time and my, my dad had planned, we don't see them all that regularly, we don't get to central Pennsylvania all that regularly, my dad had planned some special adventures for us. He was looking to, to make a memorable occasion for us. And so part of that was he, he organized a local uh, canoeing group to come and, and bring the canoe boats out. We were going to spend a day canoeing, listen to this, down the Bald Eagle River, through the beautiful mountains of central Pennsylvania. It doesn't get any better than that. The Bald Eagle River, it was actually a river my, my grandfather had fly-fished on regularly, so a little sentimental value there as well. And so my dad was excited about this memorable trip we were going to have. Well, you know, we parked the cars, uh, at least one car at one end, you know, at the completing point of the journey. And then, you know, the other cars we took back and we were going to send drivers back when we were done to get the vehicles. That's the way you do it when you do those canoe trips usually. And uh, the canoe guy showed up on time and we had our snacks packed in our bags and we were there. We were, you know, we were, our crew being from Alabama, we were ready for some summer weather, right? It's early June or whatever. We're, we're in central Pennsylvania. The sun's shining as we begin and it, it looks pretty good as we're getting into the canoes and we have our snacks and everything. We had our shorts and t-shirts on. And all of a sudden I noticed as we were kind of moving out into the water that the, the sun had been shining. Its warmth and light had been glorious and it was shining on us. And then all of a sudden this cloud cover began to come over. And, you know, the, the temperature started to dip a little bit, but you're active. You know, you're out there canoeing a little bit and moving your body. So I didn't notice it, it as much. And then all of a sudden, a little drizzle started to come down. And the temperature began to drop a little bit more. You know, you kind of could get along the side and try to get under some leaves of the trees and whatnot. But before you know it, your whole body was soaking wet. Everybody in all three or four canoes that we had were soaking wet. 
the, the temperature even slipped a little bit lower. I think it was probably low 60s, maybe high 50s. So we continued along our, our hypothermic journey for about an, an hour or so. Uh, at one point, I, I looked over, and my youngest had crawled into the bottom of our canoe and literally was, was curled up in a little ball, shivering as the, the canoes filled with water. Uh, I'll tell you, those, those clouds come over, they covered over the glory of that sun, that, that warm light, and, and we were really longing to get to the end of, of that trip. I can't tell you how excited we were when we finally came around that last bend and, and, and looked face-to-face at, at our vehicles and at some other people in the parking lot where we'd parked the cars, and, and we must have looked like a complete mess because we were miserable. So we, we like to joke today with my dad, and we say, yeah, Dad, that was, that was a memorable trip indeed. You, you put together a memorable canoe trip for us. Well, my dad's aim, our aim, was some kind of glorious experience, right? A good family time. And as we think about our verses today and maybe a picture of our journey and relationship with God, you know, the light of the sun was shining, but boy, when those clouds came over, when they veiled, when they veiled the sunlight from coming into us and onto us, uh, it, it, was, it wasn't until the wind blew away those clouds and the sun came back and we finished off our journey that we really had the joy of experiencing that trip. And the same thing is true maybe in the spiritual sense. The, this passage tells us that God desires to shine the, the light of Christ into our hearts and lives. But there's uh, clouds. There's things that can come in the middle and veil us from being able to experience that. From being able to embrace it and draw close to it. The, the way you might put it is this. The main idea in the sermon notes section at the back of your worship guide is just this. It's a little bit of a longer one, but I... I figured we'd go ahead and put the whole text in there from verse 4 because it's, it's one that if you log it away and think about it and memorize it, it really has a lot of strength and joy that can come from it. So this might be our, our main idea to wrestle with today. Since God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, we should faithfully present God's word in a world blinded by the evil one. Okay? Since God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, we should faithfully present God's word in the world blinded by the evil one. Well, it's interesting. Our, our passage highlights for us two big challenges that we face in that. The first one is uh, misguided messengers, or misguided messages, maybe we could say. And I want to take a look at, at those verses, and then we'll look at our, our misguided minds and how that affects our seeing Jesus, Jesus' face, the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then, then we'll close by looking at the beauty of those last couple of verses. So take a look with me at <clears throat> verses 1 and 2 first. It breaks down really nicely into two-verse sections. And let's talk about misguided messengers. You, you see at the beginning, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Again, we see right away that the Apostle Paul is facing struggles in seeking to be a vessel to communicate the gospel reality that has transformed his life. 
And we're encouraged today by that in the fact that we probably have similar struggles. We've been talking about that the last few weeks, that it's not always easy for us to see how God is working and using us to spread the gospel in the lives of those that are around us, even where we're intentional and purposeful about that. We know that sometimes it's not received in the, the posture or the tone that we would want, want to give. And so we're reminded, it says in this first verse, not to lose heart. And I just want to camp out there for a second and say, you know, the Apostle Paul says it's by the mercy of God that he has this ministry. And I just want to remind us today that, folks, you don't have to be some person that's got everything just perfectly cleaned up in your life. You don't have to have some uh, great or grand past. You you don't have to be this wonderful uh, personality or whatever you think you need to be to be used by God. All you and I need is to be saturated, to be engaged in the mercy of God and to not lose heart because he's at work. That's a powerful, powerful thing. Let me put it this way. Someone who views themselves as living a life that's rooted in, and directed and enlivened by the mercy, mercy of God is a powerful, powerful person. You might be here today and you're five years old or you're 12 years old or you're 15 years old or you feel like you're past your prime. You're on the other side of things. God can use you and me if we rest as we rest in the mercy of God. I've I've been thinking about, uh, lately, of course, we've had these tragic situations that keep happening in our country, these shootings, and it, and it drew me back to that, that movie that came out that actually Sean Dee's uh, father was helping to, to produce and others in our congregation today even were part of that adventure for I Am Not Ashamed, the story of Rachel Scott and the Columbine shooting. And, and I thought about that. I thought about there's a gal that if you watch that film, she didn't have it all together, but she was yielded to the mercy of God. And she, she didn't lose heart. She didn't lose heart even at that crucial moment where she testified about her faith in Christ. So God can use you and me take encouragement from that today. The problem is this. We got cluttered messages that come into our lives. And sometimes as the church, we get cluttered messages as well. So we're not being refreshed and being encouraged along the path by the word of God as we should be. So as we look at these verses, take a look at verse 2. And the Apostle Paul says, We've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning and tamper with God's word. All of those disgraceful, cunning, tamper, they're they're words that are kind of associated with the evil one, with kind of uh, nefarious purposes, evil purposes. And so the Apostle Paul is just calling a spade a spade. And of course, we can picture in our mind from these verses, if we've ever tuned in the, the various TV channels that are out there, some of the cable channels, and watch the, the TV preachers. And I'm sure somewhere out there, there are some good ones, right? Somewhere out there, there's some good ones. But invariably, if you take just a few moments to watch a lot of those folks, you know, we would have that picture in our mind of people that are literally, as Paul says earlier in Second Corinthians, peddling the Word of God. Their main focus is on just building their ministry and perhaps building their their pocketbook. We've seen scandal after scandal along those lines. So so we, we know that example is out there. And we know, of course, that the Apostle Paul is not saying that he's a perfect person. 
right? He's not commending really himself in that sense. We're going to look next week at verse 7, which is right below verse 6, if you want to look at it real quickly. But it just says, we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. Very common, everyday things. So the Apostle Paul knows that there's some problems he has. There's some weaknesses he has. He's not a perfect person. The same is true, of course, in spades for me up here standing before you today, for others that would lead in our church. Uh, in a sense, the, the pastors, the church leaders ought to be what we would call chief repenters. The first ones to hold up our hands and say, we're, we're messed up. We need Jesus, just like everybody else does. So the Apostle Paul's not saying he's perfect, but he is saying that there's a concern at hand. And I like the way uh, Kistemacher puts it. I think the quote's in your, in your worship guide. If you're not looking at it otherwise, you might turn there just as I read this. He says this. He says, not every politician is known as a statesman because some legislators exhibit glowing rhetoric that amounts to nothing more than empty words. Sure, we... We don't have to turn very, we don't have to turn to particular channels on the TV to find that, right? He goes on, he says, not every speaker is a preacher. For many orators in the pulpit present eloquence, but not, it should say, the word of God. As such, they've become entertainers who draw a crowd to tell them, as 2 Timothy says, what their itching ears want to hear. If preachers wish to speak with authority, then they must be filled with God's Spirit and listen closely to His Word. They should be fully aware of the fact that they are the Lord's representatives. Okay, so this is why we see, for instance, the Apostle Paul, whereas in other places... He's ready and willing and even encourages the church to, to give some support, give some, some financial help to foster the ministry of the church and even the, the ministers, those who are leading. Here in Corinth, he's taken a different posture because he knows that there are these particular spokespersons who are so known for just leveraging the, the Word of God and even manipulating it to fill their own pockets that in Corinth, the Apostle Paul basically was bivocational the whole time. That's how he approached it. We know elsewhere in Scripture, he says, you know, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. So he, he's not saying it's a bad thing for the church to provide for its preaching and teaching. But he, he, he says it's about the intent. It's about the goal. It's about the focus of those preachers. You know, one of the ways this can manifest itself, of course, we've maybe sat at times in our life in, in a church or been maybe involved in a church for some time where... The, the ministry and the, the preaching is referring to things from the Bible. Maybe what I would call good thoughts for decent living is the way, you know, somebody I've worked with for a while put it. Maybe talking even about the Christ of faith, but pulling that apart from the Jesus of history. You know, sadly, uh, some of us pastors out there have forgotten that this word is true, that this word is right, that this word is sound. And so you might be in a church setting where you're hearing about Christ, but that Christ is not really tied to what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. The Jesus of history has been pulled apart from the Christ of faith. So you, you might see it uh, that way. The other way you might see it, and maybe this would be a little bit closer to home, is that at some level, uh, sometimes the congregation and the preacher maybe without even talking about it, enter into a tacit agreement. And the agreement is this. 
pastor will come and we will listen to you and we'll be at church so you can feel like people are listening to you. And we'll even put some you know, money in the plate to help support the work of the church as long as you, pastor, don't push us too far. As long as the Republicans in the group don't feel like maybe there's something in the Bible that might challenge your convictions about that. As long as the Democrats in the group don't feel like there's something in the Bible that might challenge what you think about that. As long as the men in the congregation don't feel like there's something that challenges them in how they view manhood. As long as the women in the congregation don't feel like there's something that challenges we'll, we'll just work out this nice little relationship. Okay? The Apostle Paul says that none of that is what the church is supposed to be about. He says it so clearly here in ver- the end of verse 2. He says we refuse to do this, to tamper with God's word. He says, but with open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. They're just going to lay it out there. What we would call full disclosure, being an open book. Okay? That's our hope for our church body. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about, or Luke is talking about. I'm sorry, when we read in Acts 17 that the people searched the Scripture to see if what the Apostle Paul said was true. So that, that's, that's this tendency we have to have misguided messages or messengers. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to, to chart a different path, to love the, the clear and sound teaching of the Word of God and wrestle with it as it is. Second thing we see in these verses that tends to take us off track is our misguided minds. Our misguided minds. You know, elsewhere in Scripture it says that Jesus is a stone that does what? Makes men stumble and a rock that makes men fall. And one of the things that we love to hold on to is that we've got a right understanding of the world that you and I do, that the way I think about things has to be right. And the Apostle Paul is reminding us here, he's talking about a lot of things, he reminds us that the evil one is at work, and if you and I don't think that's a reality, now occasionally in, in our society, I guess globally, people get overly fascinated with the evil one. Most of the time in American society, we're, we have a huge influence of secularism. And what that means is that we probably don't think very much at all about the fact of how is the evil one affecting me. Now, Apostle Paul is just telling here that sometimes when the gospel is proclaimed to people, part of that dynamic of not receiving it is that the evil one has just shut down the mind. So we need to realize that. We need to pray that people's eyes and minds would be open. It's not just about our sinful actions. It's not just about our emotions or desires, but our minds don't even work correctly. We need God to work there powerfully. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul talks about the God of this uh, age, the God of this world. If you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this world. And just to be clear, that's talking about the evil one, lowercase g. And that tells you how much influence the evil one can have in our lives. So my encouragement for us today, just in the time that we have, would be to realize, one, that when we're seeking to share the gospel with other people, one of the battles that's going on there is that the evil one is trying to keep them from even embracing the truth of Scripture. And number two, that I think we can extrapolate from this, that as we walk in our relationship with Christ, we shouldn't be surprised that 
the evil one's not only leading us to do or to feel things that are maybe off track, the evil one will be leading us perhaps to think things that are off track. It's a good question for us to ask today. Where am I having my mind? How am I having my mind renewed? It's part of why we're preaching the word each week. It's part of why we're encouraging people to be in small groups because we need to have our minds renewed as well. Last thing we see in these verses is this beautiful concluding section, verse 5 and 6. And the Apostle Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants. I want to talk about that first before we close with looking at those last couple of verses. You know, it's interesting, in contrast to these folks that are kind of uh, apparently coming into the Corinthian church, and their focus is primarily on themselves, especially these messengers, and they're kind of preaching a gospel that's about self, it sounds like. The Apostle Paul, we can see early on, one of the things he's saying is that there's this cross. There's the resurrection, but there's also the cross. And as believers, that means struggle, that means challenge. And part of what he's saying here, you know, Jesus said it in Mark 10:45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So folks, if we're going to uh, have the strength of the Lord for the ministry that he's called you and me to, one of the things we need to recognize is that it's actually a joy and a blessing to serve, to actually give up things that, that we might otherwise want, most notably probably our time and energy to serve. And, and I just want to camp out here. He talks about serving and presenting the gospel to think about this idea of really being servants. What does it look like for us as a church body to serve? I'm going to tell you, we've got, we got some real pragmatic opportunities coming up. You all are going to get an email this week. We had a congregation a meeting of the congregation a couple of weeks ago to talk about what we need to do to help uh, keep this facility going and come alongside the folks at Lakecrest, uh, do the setup and take down each week that we need to do, do the interior cleaning that we need to do, do the exterior maintenance of lawn mowing and mulch and all those things. So you're going to be getting an email this week. And I know a lot of folks in our church body are already probably serving in a number of areas. And, and if you're maxed out and you're doing what the Lord has called you to do, then, then that, that's perfectly fine. But there's probably a few folks here that maybe have some additional energy, additional capacity, or just be moved by the Lord. And as you get that, I want you to really look at it and, and think, hey, can I jump in? A, a bunch of us have kids in the middle school and high school age where they need the, the uh, service credits or whatever for the groups that they're in at school. Uh, sign up as a, a mother-daughter team. Sign up as a father-son team or father-daughter team or mother-son team, whatever. Come and help out. Uh, pick one of those categories to jump in with, to help with the exterior maintenance, to help with the interior. Think about a life of service. I'll tell you the other thing that's coming up, and you can grab them on the end of the pew, the little uh, Easter uh, flyers. Grab those if you would, if you're nearby. Go grab them if you're not nearby. You know, we talk about wanting to reach our community and I think, I think we do. I think we as a church body genuinely do. We want to see people come to know Jesus. There is not a bigger time in the year for reaching out to folks where people are more likely to come and visit a church in our culture than Easter week. 
So we do, we've done this regularly. If you've been here since we began seven, eight years, you know we hand out these flyers and so forth. The back side of it has some info on VBS as well to kind of save the date for folks. Boy, I'd love. We've already got some people that are committed to going and putting them out in different neighborhoods. I mentioned earlier folks putting them out in the Lakecrest neighborhood. We've got some separate flyers for that. That's an exciting thing that we're going to do together to help support both Lakecrest and our church body. But but we're going to have some other opportunities as well. Guess what? There's not enough parking out there for everybody on Easter Sunday. There's not. And so if we all choose to show up on Easter Sunday... And, uh, and we'll want to do it. And maybe we're running behind. We've got our outfits on and whatnot. And, and we don't use the extra parking that we're going to organize, that we're getting lined up with the pool house down below and with the animal shelter and the little shuttles that we're going to have, some vans running people back. Hopefully the weather will be good and we can park on the grass out here, which would work just fine. You know, if we take off all the parking spots, then the people who haven't been here before and are driving around, they're not going to know. They're going to show up late and they're not going to have a spot. You know what they're going to do? Right around that parking lot and head right on out. Okay, so we've got real practical opportunities to make a tangible choice in the upcoming weeks to do some things to serve in the body of Christ. And I love how the Apostle Paul says that his whole calling is just to be their servants. So let's just be thinking about that posture. God has served us in the gospel. How can we serve the people in our community that might be coming to visit on Easter Sunday? How can we serve through helping to uh, upkeep and and be a part of the the church body here? Last thing I want us to see is these verses that we've really, in a sense, already unpacked. It says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we... We clear out those false messages. We recognize uh, the evil one's work to clutter our minds, to keep us off track. And this passage reminds us that just as God, what a picture, just as God created the universe by saying, let light shine, created the planets and the stars and the sky and everything that we see, he is desiring to shine his work in your life and mine. We have the gift and blessing of that. The glory of God, that's his weighty majesty. So you've got sort of two contrasting ideas. When you run into God's weighty majesty, I don't know about about you, but I I feel a little bit sheepish. I recognize my brokenness, my fallenness, my limitations. So we're invited, but we want it because we know it's fantastic. So God's weighty majesty. And so this verse reminds us that we're not only coming to know God's weighty majesty, we're being able to see the light of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what we would call personal relationship and his love. I'll close with this. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun, S-U-N, has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. By it, I see everything else. You know, back in the 1990s, I guess the... Uh, facial recognition stuff was kind of a new thing, the technology. Maybe you watched a, a Tom Clancy movie or something, and it was like the CIA had this impressive technology where there's a bad guy halfway across the world, and they've got a really bad picture of him, but somehow we can get to figure out the identity of that person through facial recognition. And then, you know, by the time it was, what, the mid, you know, two, 2005, 2008, 
We've all got pictures that we're uploading to our computer that aren't even very good pictures of us when we were like 12 years old. And already Google and Facebook can recognize, you know, who we are and all our family members and tell us how we're linked together. And then if you if you haven't been in a hole for the last two months or three months, you've probably seen 835 commercials about the new iPhone that's going to allow you it. It knows you. It recognizes your face. It sees you. Facial recognition. I tell you, it's a powerful thing to realize and to think about our faces and about how our faces really are unique, are particular to who we are. They're personal too, right? You say you want to handle something, you're going to go face to face. You're going to handle it personally. That's kind of the picture we have here of this face to face with Jesus. To see the reality of who God is in the face of Jesus and who he is in his identity and his personal nature to us today. Boy, let's grab hold of that. Let's cherish that. Let's be enlivened in our relationship with God through that. Let's pray.